0: Back to
1: the future! It's 1210, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. So glad to be back in the noon to three time slots. All right, we start off this show like we start off every show. Three big things. Story number one, true. I was on an airplane over the weekend. I was in San Diego. um, and, And, of course... This is the vagary of air travel nowadays. I was flying on Southwest Airlines and we we had decided, my brother and I, my niece, my goddaughter, is a um, freshman at San Diego State. And it just so happens that I'm a huge Jimmy Buffett fan, I think, as many people know. So they were ending their tour Saturday night in San Diego. And my brother, who's an attorney in town, has a lot of friends who are attorneys in San Diego, some of whom have connections to get tickets. Well, it it was just kismet. So we decided months ago... We're going to take a couple of days off. We will fly out. We will see Sydney. That's my niece, my, my goddaughter. Um, we'll see the Buffett show. So I, I said, okay, you, you get, you take or make arrangements, get the tickets. I'll, I'll take care of the airfare. So I booked direct flights on Southwest Airlines, direct flights from Milwaukee to San Diego, and then just didn't think about it um, until last Monday. I get this notice saying, hey, your trip's coming up. Now, the direct flight was supposed to leave Milwaukee about 12 o'clock in the afternoon, get in San Diego time, 3 o'clock on, on, Friday, on Thursday. Thought it would be perfect. Well, apparently they canceled all the direct flights, and I'm sure they sent me a notice that got trapped in my Internet junk thing or whatever, didn't notice it. But instead of flying directly from Milwaukee to San Diego, we went from Milwaukee at 6.45 in the morning to Atlanta And then Atlanta to San Diego. So what was going to be a few-hour flight became like an eight-hour flight, but it all worked out. So in any event, I've got a lot of time to kill. So Friday morning, I'm sitting there, and I've got newspapers, and I'm going through all this type of stuff. And, And I come across this story in the local newspaper. And I think there were people on the plane who knew, 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 knew who I was. Because not only did I have the various newspapers and stuff, but I was audibly shouting at this particular story. It is, if you want to understand how the criminal justice system in Milwaukee County breaks down and how judges contribute to that breakdown, this is the story. The guy's name is Dwayne Cheney. He is a convicted, now a convicted murderer. Now let me just back up a little. When when you are a gangster thug murderer, one of the things that you count on is that people are going to be afraid of you, and this is what plays out in Milwaukee. You terrorize the community, and people are afraid to come in and testify against you. All right, so that describes this Dwayne Cheney. Dwayne Cheney had been a fugitive. He's 25 years old. Now here's here's the deal of this. He had been identified in a, as a suspect. In a killing almost two years ago, November of 2015, he was involved and identified as a killer of a guy named Michael Prescott, um, Prescott's girlfriend told police that around 7 a.m., she heard yelling outside. She saw Chaney, her ex-boyfriend, approach a car where Prescott was sitting and open fire. The guy executed this man two years ago. Prescott died at the scene from a single close contact shot to the neck. He went up to him. He put a gun to his neck. He pulled the trigger. Chaney then broke into a residence and went after the woman, striking her with a gun before escaping she was still connected to 911 and on a recording of the chaotic call a man's voice says I'm going to jail for the rest of my life she says oh my god Wayne so he executes he executes her current boyfriend he pistol whips her and then he takes off he was charged with first-degree intentional homicide which carries a mandatory life sentence and with having a gun as a felon. This is an extremely bad actor. He then goes on the lam. He flees. U.S. Marshals catch him in May. So this killing occurs in November of 2015. He is a fugitive until May of this year. So they catch him. He's put out, his bail is $250,000 cash. He cannot make the bail. All right. He then demands a speedy trial. All right, he said, and the way the law works is you can go in and you can demand a speedy trial. Um, So they schedule the date for September 18th. All right, what happens then is this girlfriend, the the, the girlfriend, the ex-girlfriend, and the girlfriend of the guy who was killed, she was the state's main witness. And um, once they catch him, she begins to get cold feet, and starts saying, "Well, I'm, I'm not sure I'm, I'm going to be. I'm not sure I'm going to cooperate." She's afraid of him. All right, that's exactly what's happening. She's intimidated. She is afraid of him. So the prosecutors go to a Milwaukee County judge named Carolyn Stark, who was elected in 2012. Um, she ran against a Scott Walker appointee. And the issue was, this is the time of the recalls and all that stuff. Vote, Vote down anybody who's a Scott Walker appointee. So instead of a law and order judge, you get this Carolyn Stark. So Carolyn Stark then hears from the defendant. The defendant says, I demanded a speedy trial. The prosecutors say, well, we want a continuance because, you know, we're, We're working on this witness, and we're afraid that, you know, she's intimidated. We know we want it before we just go to trial. We want to make sure that we have all our ducks in order. The judge says, no, I'm not going to give you a a continuance. And so what she does is she says, "Okay, Mr. Murderer, Mr. Felon with a gun, Mr. Murderer, I'm going to convert your bail. To a $250,000 personal recognizance bond, you sign your name. Now, keep in mind, the guy's been a fugitive for a year and a half. You sign your name, you promise to pay $250,000, and they let him go. Now, she was required to do that because he had made a Speedy Trial Act demand, and she had refused to grant a continuance. This is where the problem lies. She refuses to grant a continuance. As a result, the murderer is now out on bail. So the trial, part of the release conditions amounted to house arrest. He was on GPS monitoring. He could not possess alcohol, drugs, or weapons. Yeah, 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 yada, yada, yada. All right. Then what happens is they start the trial last week. He shows up on Tuesday and Wednesday. But the trial is not going very well for him. The witnesses show up and they start testifying about how he was the murderer. So recognizing that his efforts to intimidate the witnesses didn't work and he's likely to get convicted, what does he do? He takes off. Now, they finished the trial. He was convicted in absentia because, you know, he was was gone because he fled in the middle of it. But that doesn't change the dynamic. You have now a convicted murderer who was a fugitive for a year and a half is now back out on the street because a Milwaukee County Circuit Court judge refused to grant the district attorney's office a continuance for a guy who was on the lam. And as a result of her refusing to grant the man, a, them a continuance, what she had to do under the statute then was lower the guy or convert his bail from a cash bail to this personal recognizance bail, which was completely and totally worthless. Here's the point. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, when law enforcement authorities, as a result of this decision by Milwaukee County Circuit Judge Carolyn Stark, I hope as they let this character out of prison, somebody took a picture of him as he was leaving the jail from the rear because his backside is the last they are going to see of this guy for a long time. So again, as a result of, in my opinion, an incredibly bad decision by a Milwaukee County judge. Again, this change in bail was necessitated because she refused to grant the district office, uh, district attorney's office a continuance. Some people would fault Chisholm's office. I understand what's going on here. The guy's been a fugitive for a year and a half. They don't want to impanel a jury unless they're sure that they've got their ducks in order. It was a decision which has now put a murderer on the street. And as a result, I mean, there is a manhunt, and, and maybe they will find him at some point in time. Hopefully... Hopefully, they will find him before he kills someone else. But it is just mind-boggling to me that you have a criminal justice system, again, that would take somebody who is accused of murder, who is a felon in possession of a firearm, who has been a fugitive for a year and a half, and you wouldn't grant the district attorney's office Oh, thirty 30 or 60 extra days as a continuance, but you say, nope, 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 we're, we're going to trial right now, and if you don't go to trial within those 90 days, I'm not going to find a valid basis, and we're going to turn this guy loose on the street. If he kills again, there is going to be blood on certain people's hands, but... Big story number one, if you wonder what is going on in the Milwaukee County court system and the criminal justice system around here, we talk about it a lot. The juvenile justice system, which is an absolute joke where you can steal 10, 15, 20, 25 cars, not be waived into adult court and be sent home to your parents. A catch and release system for car thieves in general. A refusal to hold people accountable and bail decisions that are mind-boggling in the extreme. Wow. It's 1220. This is Jeff Wagner. Big story number two coming right up. Stick around. It's 1223. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Improving your corporate culture is more than just putting up a pool table at the office. A lead executive at GMR Marketing shares her secrets to corporate culture with the folks at Walkie in the latest Intersection of People in Place podcast up now on WTMJ Mobile. Be sure to check that out. Big story number two. All right. the right. The, they're talking about tax reform. And of course, one of the tenets of tax reform is that it has to be revenue neutral. In other words, if they make tax cuts in one place, they've got to figure out a way to generate tax revenue in another place. One of the things that, of course, that the president and uh, Paul Ryan are looking at is, what's well, something different than Ronald Reagan did when he implemented tax cuts. They are talking about increasing the taxes on the biggest wage earners. Now, I think if the idea is to get the economy jump-started, that's going to be a self-defeating prophecy. But that's one of the things they're doing, because in Washington, we can never look at spending cuts, Right? You know, if we've got to give, we've got to lower taxes for some people, we can't balance that by cutting spending. No, we just have to figure out how to move around the money that we're taking in. One of the things, and we've talked about this a couple times on this show, one of the things that I think they are going to do, and it might not work out well for the state of Wisconsin, is I think that they are planning to take away your ability to deduct um, the property taxes you pay. And the state income tax you pay, which for many people will mean they will no longer be able to itemize their deductions, which has a whole ripple effect of you can't itemize your deductions. Will you be less inclined to make charitable deductions, all those types of things? So I I think, you know, the devil is in the details. But this is one of the things that I think they're going to do in tax reform, which would... I think, mess over a lot of middle and upper middle class Wisconsin taxpayers by taking away their ability to itemize. So that's number one. Number two is the deductibility of 401k plans. I think the 401k plan has been one of the greatest retirement savings ideas that we have ever come up with think everybody knows how this works 401k plan allows you to um if your employer offers one and there's ways you can do this if you're self-employed too but it allows you to take a chunk of money up to i think next year the limit's going to be eighteen thousand five hundred dollars and if you're over fifty you can save another six thousand and you can have that withheld from your paycheck and you can save for retirement now the advantage to that is is the four hundred one K plan allows you to take that money and save um, and you get to do it tax deferred. So let's say for the sake of argument that you make seventy grand a year. You can save up to eighteen thousand dollars and you can lower your present tax. So let's say you have eighteen thousand dollars come off the top, well I'm simplifying here, but instead of seventy grand your income becomes fifty-two grand. Um, So And that money then grows. Now, the government does get its slice out of that because when you start taking the money out, you've got to pay taxes on it. So the government gets the money, but it grows tax-deferred, and you get an immediate tax break for doing that. And I believe this is what has been a huge incentive We have a huge problem in this country. I don't know where Social Security is going to be 10, 15, 20 years from now. So, I mean, I think people are on their own. This is a great way of saving. There are a number of Republicans in Congress who recognize, though, that this is a huge pool of present money because when you, again, take that my example, let's say you save that 18 grand, you're not paying current taxes on the 18 grand. You will at some point in time, but you're not right now. So that is money that in the present, the government is losing out on. So a number of Republicans are saying, hey, maybe what we need to do is look at 401ks and just essentially do away with the ability of people to contribute, again, with this tax deferral, not give them the tax break. President Trump this morning says, no, I'm not interested in doing that, but who knows where he's going to be because he tends to flip-flop on issues. 414-799-1620. Let's tee this up. I think this would be devastating to individuals who are saving for retirement. And I think President Trump needs to stick to his guns. And if he says we're not going to touch people's 401ks, he needs to mean it. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1228. 1236, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I hope the president means what he says when he says he's not going to let Republicans in Congress touch people's 401k plans. I think if you do that, it will devastate, devastate retirement savings, especially for you know generations of people for whom I don't know if Social Security, at least in the form it exists now, is going to be around. Uh, let's start with Tony in Milwaukee. Tony, you're in six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good, good, morning, good afternoon. Hi. Good
0: afternoon, Jeff.
1: I'm going to get used to that now. Good afternoon, hey, Jeff,
0: sir. Welcome back. I'm Thanks. retired, and I couldn't listen in the morning.
1: Well, good. <laughs> well, I'm glad so to have you, you back, back, my friend.
0: Oh good. Jeff, they gotta leave it alone. In my last I'm retired now, I retired last year. In my last five years I was able to buy four oh one K to thirty percent right. and everything worked out well. And I I'd like to go one step further. They should eliminate the taxes on the on the IRAs.
1: Oh, and the IRAs. Yeah. yeah, I know. I mean, well, let me ask you this, Tony. If if it wasn't for that ability to delay the taxes, to defer the taxes, my guess is you wouldn't have been able to save anything near as much as you were able to save the last few years, right?
0: That is correct, and I would have probably been working longer too.
1: Yeah, no. I mean, thanks because see, that's that. That's look that that is the key to this. This the whole four hundred one k plan is one of the, the the whole concept is one of the great. Now does it? Does it benefit upper income taxpayers Yes it does but for you know middle class folks it's one of the greatest incentives for retirement savings around I can't tell you how many people I, I know who over the years, and I kind of came to me for like quasi-financial advice. I said, you've got to start this 401k plan. And it was like, well, I, I don't know. It's just tough. Retirement's so far off. And yeah, I understand the value of compounding all this. And I said, well, look, like here, here's the immediate advantage you get. You will pay less taxes in the present. And that is the incentive that you get to do this. And I think that inspires people. Now, and again, the government's going to get its cut. It's just not going to get its cut, you know, today or tomorrow. It's ultimately going to get it when like Tony, you start taking money out. Now, you do have the other option. You have what's called the Roth 401k. That works differently. A Roth 401k is where you put you pay tax on the money that you are paying in. You pay tax, you know, in that year and then it just grows um, and there 's never there 's never any more taxes on that so when you take it out you don 't pay tax that 's a great vehicle as well, but that I think is going to in general be for some of the, uh, I'm going to say wealthier, maybe that's tough to generalize. But, I mean, you have that option as well. Most people use the traditional 401k plans. The other thing that they are talking about doing, now the devil is in the details. Right now, the limit, like I said, it's going to go up next year to $18,500 and an additional $6,000 in what they call a catch-up contribution if you're over the age of 50. They are talking about either eliminating it or maybe only allowing you to put like $2,400 in. You know, it, tw- look, $2,400 a year isn't going to get you very far in retirement. That I mean, if that's all you can save, that's all you can save. But it's not going to get you very far. I mean, and then, again, it's going to be this crisis. Where do you go? I mean, this is, again, this is one of the things that you see. It's a short-term solution that creates a long-term problem. And my question continues to be, and if you're new to listening to me in this time slot, since we just switched back to where I was for 18 years, I mean, one of the things I'm always about is trying to – I always ask, why, why do we have to spend the money? You know, I'm all about, you know, reforming the tax code and simplifying it, and I'm all about making people pay less taxes. But why can't we have cuts in spending? Why can't we look at government and say government is too big? We've got to figure out ways to save money instead of saying, well, we're going to pick winners and losers and some people are going to get a tax break. But what we're going to do is we're going to destroy a major retirement savings program while it goes. Oh, contraire, let's not go that route. Mary in Pewaukee. Mary, you're in 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon.
2: Good afternoon, Jeff, and welcome home.
1: Thank you. I feel it's good to be home. (laughs)
2: Um. First of all, back in 2008, my husband lost his entire pension plan. Secondly, you're talking about um, middle to upper middle class people. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: I don't fall into that category. I am now a widow and trying to live off of less than approximately $2,200 a month with a $1,000 mortgage. If they took away the property tax deductions and the charitable donation deductions, I'd really be
4: up a creek.
1: Yeah. Now, again, and just the the, when when I say how this affects the charitable deductions is that if you the 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 way most people in Wisconsin the the big things that get you to the to allow you to itemize are again the property tax you pay and the state income tax you pay. I think if you took away that that, it, you just you wouldn't my guess is you wouldn't have enough charitable deductions to, to itemize. So you'd you'd be with that standard deduction. Yeah, I, I, I mean, whenever I've talked to, and I've talked to a couple members of our congressional delegation and I say, you know, this, I, I mean, I, I'm curious, there will be winners and losers, but I'm curious about people like you, Mary, whether you you would how is this going to affect people in your situation? And my guess is if you are a homeowner, it's probably you're going to probably end up on the losing side. That's just my guess. You've got to put a pencil to paper and do the math. But I, I hope they go really carefully with this. Me too. Yeah. No. Thanks for the call, and thanks for listening. Yeah, it's – um, I just – and the president, I will take him at his word, the president says these reports out there, this is a non-starter. Now, it's – the, the reason it is news, though, is because this has been kind of under the radar screen, and I've been I've been raising this alarm bell for several months now, because I know it is one of the things that some Republicans in Congress have been looking at, because again, there's this huge pool of present money. Uh, again, if everybody, and I look up, let's say. I don't know what the average is. But let's say, you know, you average it all out, and the average person, the average person is maybe contributing $5,000 a year. You can contribute up to, uh, again, 24000 if you're over 50. But let's say the average is $5,000. Uh, across all the people that have IRAs, you know, the government's saying, hey, that's $5,000 for every person, and we can tax them. We can tax them. How great would that be? Well, stick to your guns, Mr. President. All right. Having said that, why in the world is President Trump picking this fight? I saw the war widow on TV this morning. That's big story number three. We are going to discuss next. It's twelve forty-three. This is Jeff Wagner. It's twelve forty-eight. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Um, on our text line, Bill makes a very very interesting point. And before we move on from the whole four hundred one k concept, um, you know, our our last caller, Mary talked about how she's a widow how her husband lost his pension a number of years ago and so you know if you were to take away her ability to for example deduct property taxes it would just be devastating well that that's the situation a lot of people found themselves in one of the reasons you had the the creation of 401k plans was because more and more companies weren't offering pensions anymore and as a result of that these pension plans were going away so people needed to plan for retirement this was a vehicle that you could do it well all right bill in burlington asked a very good question he said jeff i'm just curious these people who are thinking about taking away the, the 401k plans for the average citizens do they get pensions and the answer is absolutely yes i mean if, if you're you know if you are a government employee but if you're in congress you know whether you're a congressman or whether you're a, a senator, the answer is yes. You know, you you get a very very good pension plan. Matter of fact, um, people who've served for 30 years in Congress, which is a long time, um, they, they're they're pulling in like 140 thousand dollars a year. So, right, Congress doesn't need the 401k plans because they've got those traditional pensions that do not exist for many people in the private sector so once again it's easy to hey let's take away those 401k plans for the little folks the the taxpayers and and we'll go from there all right big story number three now this again i i was i was off on thursday and friday this story was percolating um you know before i left so it's been going on for several days now, and it is still in the news. I, I come back, and this morning I turn on Good Morning America, and there is the the war, what I'm describing is the war widow. It's the um, wife of Army Sergeant LaDavid Johnson, who, who was one of the four um, soldiers that was killed a, a while back overseas. And everybody knows the story by now. Um, President Trump... May, It it started out at a press conference um, about a week ago where some reporter – ask President Trump, hey, why haven't you reached out to the families of fallen soldiers? And then he responds, well, I've done this more than, you know, my, the previous administrations have, which then creates this huge firestorm because both the Bush administration and the Obama administration people, they respond, they say, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about because, you know, we reached out at, you know as well. Don't say that we did not do this. So President Trump has that problem. Then you have um, his chief of staff, the um, you know, former Major Ke- General Kelly who comes out and he's, he's got a tragic story. I mean, his son was was lost overseas a couple of years ago, and, and he goes on and he says some stuff about one of the Congresswoman who's politicized this. That breaks bad. But President Trump um, makes a phone call to the, this off- this this soldier's wife, and she's apparently on her way to the Dover Air Force Base to pick up his remains the call does not go well and she has it on the, the speaker in the car and there's a congresswoman with her and look the 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 people in the car aren't fans of trump i i get that and so then the congresswoman because she wants to rip Trump, goes public with this and saying he was insensitive. He, he didn't know even know the guy's name. He, you could tell he had this report that was in front of him. And, and then he said stuff about, well, he knew what he signed up for, but it's a tragedy nonetheless. And she goes public with this and then blasts him as being insensitive. For reasons that pass understanding, President Trump could not just let that go. He decided that he then had to respond and the situation then escalates. Well, this morning on Good Morning America, the, the widow actually appears, and I, I watched her interview. And um, she's clearly not a fan of President Trump. And she's saying, "Yeah, he. I, I just it, it hurt me. I, I didn't even think he knew my, the name of my husband, but he had a report in front of him. I, I watched the interview, and in all honesty, I, 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 I kind of thought that she was all over the map, and I, I'm not sure." If President Trump was really had the lack of empathy that people are, are making him out to, to to have had. I mean, I think it's just kind of his way and his style. And maybe it wasn't as sympathetic as perhaps President Bush would have been or President Obama would have been. But I don't think he was trying. I didn't get the sense that he was trying to be rude. Um, he was just trying to be consoling in his way. And he's just not kind of a warm and fuzzy type of person. So I, I, I just there is a part of me that thinks that that this was being somewhat politicized by the the congresswoman who decided to run out and have all these press conferences. But having said that, President Trump refuses to allow this to die. So early this morning, he puts out another tweet about this conversation where he says, I had a very respectful conversation with the widow of Sergeant David Johnson and spoke his name from the beginning without hesitation. Um, So, I mean, he's still... Disputing the account of the woman who lost her husband, our number four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the accident Mortgage Talk and Text line. Again, I don't know what went on in this call, and, and I, my my sense is again that part of this is being blown up because you have a, a congresswoman from Florida who doesn't like Trump and was going to use this as an excuse to kind of blast the president. I also concede that the president's probably, again, not the most empathetic sort of person. But at the same time, I don't think he called up this woman to be insulting or anything like that. So this whole thing is, I think, kind of taken on a life of its own. But, 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 here's what I don't get. If you're President Trump, you never, ever win a war of words with, with the widow of a fallen soldier. And for the life of me, whoever's right and whoever's wrong, I do not understand why the president decided to engage and why the president feels the need to continue to engage day after day after day. This story has been going on for a week, and I don't see how the president wins this. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk talk and Text Line. Should he just have let this go? Should he just have let this go? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1255. This is Jeff Wagner. 12.58, Twelve fifty eight. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Could Wisconsin once again lead the world when it comes to providing a major ingredient in beer making? John and Melissa share the surprising details. Four twenty on Wisconsin's afternoon news. Our uh, text line kind of exploded on on this this whole question. Um, let's see, Jeff, you still don't get Donald Trump. He never apologizes because he never admits that he's wrong. He always doubles down. Um, I I think here here's the I understand that, and I wasn't – I don't think he should have necessarily apologized. Clearly, I think he feels that um, this whole thing is being politicized, and and maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know, but here's what I do know. You never win a war of words with the widow of a soldier who lost his life, you know, a short while ago. By by continuing to discuss this, by responding – Um, I don't know that he has to apologize, but but by just not being able to ignore this, what's happened is he's turned this into a week-long story. And again, it's delayed the advancement of the agenda. Who knows how many more days this is going to go on, at least one more. It's 1259. This is Jeff Wagner coming up in 10 minutes. All right. Is this a gun control measure that people can get behind? Stick around. It's one ten. Jeff Wacker, six twenty. W T M J. For people who listen to me in this time slot for oh, 18, 18 plus full eighteen years. Um, we're coming up uh, in about a week or so. grew who's producing the show today, it'll be uh, it'll I'll finish nineteen years uh, next week. I think is the way it kind of works, and we'll be into the twentieth season of the program. But if if this is the first time you're tuning in and saying, oh, who's this guy? I I, I consider myself to be a pragmatic conservative. I I For example, when we talk about President Trump, I, I, I do not buy into this, you know, Trump is the antichrist type of thing. And, and there, there's some people that have just dug in. It's what they call themselves. It's the resistance and he can't do anything right. I, I don't buy that. At the same time, um, when he does things that I think get in the way of the agenda or stuff that's just... I think beneath the office of the president, I call that out as well. And that, I can understand, I irritate people on the left and I irritate people on the right, but I try to call them like I see them. And when I am faced with issues, I I typically say, all right, how does this play in the real world? How is this going to affect people in their daily lives? And just because it's your right to do something doesn't necessarily mean it is the right thing to do. For example, in in the area of firearms, every once in a while you will have people who in an exercise of trying to flaunt their what they perceive to be their Second Amendment rights, you know, they'll, they'll take AR-15s or they'll take, you know, a rifle, other types of rifles, and, and, you know, you open carry them into a farmer's market, creating a controversy and attempting to provoke a confrontation with the police because it's their right to do it. There's no legitimate self-protection, or self-defense factor. It's just, well, we're, we're doing this to make a statement. And, of course, the statement, I think, is often that you you end up taking people who are otherwise sympathetic to perhaps Second Amendment rights and thinking, these guys are a bunch of kooks. And, and of course, one of the definitions of being a kook is that you, you can't think that you're a kook, and then people resent that, and you're off to the races. All right, I have been thinking long and hard about you know, what, what we need to do in the wake of, you know, what happened in Las Vegas in, you know, early October. And it, it ranges, uh, there are people who say, okay, th- this is the time that we need to have gun control and we need to figure out a way to go around and confiscate people's weapons. You know, like, we, we need to take away these semi-automatic rifles and things like that. And I, I, I've never bought into that. At the same time, though, I, I think that you have to, I think conscientious people have to start looking at things and saying, all right, why, why do we do certain things and why do people really need certain things? Now, we, we've talked about the, these bump stocks before, um, the, the things that it, it is as a general rule. It is not legal to own a machine gun. Before you email me, I understand that, you know, you can go through a registration process and have to be approved by the local sheriff and pay a fee and all that type of stuff. I get all those type of things. I understand if that happens, you can have the machine gun. But you just can't walk into a Walmart and buy yourself a machine gun. That's the way the rules work. I have argued that these bump stocks, these things that you put on an otherwise legal firearm, which essentially allows them to fire as if they were a machine gun. Well if you can't legally have a machine gun for, for you know fifty bucks or whatever these things cost, I don't think that you should legally be able to take, you know, a legal weapon and convert it into what essentially would be an illegal weapon, unless you had all the permits, simply by paying fifty dollars. I have no problems at all with these bump stocks. But that that only really deals with the surface of the problem. The the larger issue has to do with high-capacity magazines. The magazine is, of course, the thing that holds the ammunition. And if you look at a lot of these mass shooting situations, it is the fact that the person was able to fire off a large number of rounds repeatedly without having to reload. Um, in As a general rule, Standard magazine for a a rifle or for a semi-automatic handgun is going to be nine, maybe ten. Kind of depends. But, you know, there are, for these AR-15s, the magazines, the standard is 30. And then you can get high-capacity magazines that carry 40, 50, eighty, up to a hundred bullets in the magazines so people can fire and fire and fire without having to reload. There is a fascinating editorial in the Chicago Tribune today, and the Chicago Tribune editorial board is is not Anywhere near as liberal as most editorial boards are, they come out today and they say, you know, there, there's no reason for high capacity magazines beyond 15 rounds. California passed a law which is now tied up in the court, which would limit the size of magazines to 10 rounds. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text line. Is it time once and for all not to take away semi-automatic rifles, but to limit the size of Again, the high-capacity magazines. I will tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss next. It is 115. It's 119. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. You know, I've been thinking about this for a long time. And while it's not a perfect solution, and I am not a gun banner, I find it harder and harder to defend people having these high-capacity magazines i mean you, you're, you're not you 're not going out into the woods with an a r fifteen with thirty rounds of ammunition if you 're deer hunting you 're not you don 't need that for self defense i mean seriously and, and if you do, you can always have multiple clips i mean whether so as whether it 's ten or fifteen rounds. Do you need more than that? And I guess that's where I am wrestling with. And I tell you, if if you wanted to try to bring people together for some reasonable, common sense gun control measures, that's something, the limiting the high capacity magazines. The only people I think who would really be affected by that would be, again, some of the target shooters, you know, because they would have to, change magazines more often but but seriously if you look at some of these mass shooting situations it is the ability of the shooters to be able to fire repeatedly without having to pause to reload now I understand it, it, you know, I understand that that's not going to stop these things, because you'll have the crazy guy that comes in, and instead of the 50 or 60 um, bullet magazine, you know, he'll have, he'll have 10 or 15, and then he'll, he'll change them out. So I understand it doesn't solve everything, but do you really need, I don't know, a high-capacity magazine with 70 or 80 bullets? I mean, who really needs that? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's start with Sean in Manitowoc. Sean, good morning. Good afternoon. I'm hey, Sorry. Good
5: I, afternoon, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. What do hey, you think? I I just told your screener. I said, okay, I was at Lambeau Field yesterday, and I'm looking at the thing, and I'm not a sick person, whatever. But I'm looking at all the people there. If you had a thirty-round magazine, you could they're stacked up like cordwood. You yeah. could just get everyone you wanted. You could come with a helicopter. I so I don't think it's about the magazine per se. It's about the crazy person behind it, and they're going to be able to get it no matter what on the black market because there's so many out there right now Mm -hmm. that they could just find them anyway. And any normal person is not going to go shoot up a place like Vegas or anything like that. And what really bothers me. But let me let
1: me focus. And I I appreciate everything you're saying. But what in your mind? Is there, a justific- is there a legitimate justification? Why does somebody need, you know, a, a magazine that has 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 rounds of ammunition? I mean, I'm, You do not. Right. You do not. Okay.
5: At all. 100% okay. you do not.
1: Okay. Now, thanks again. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I guess that's 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 the point. Now, I, I, I understand, and, and by the way, I, I fully get the fact that if you were to put limits on the size of the magazine... That's not going to stop the crazy person because what the crazy person is going to do is they're going to have okay. Let, let's say you limit it to. I, I have a handgun that has a the magazine. I think it's nines. So I think you, I think it's nine in the magazine and one in the chamber. So I think it's it's ten shots before you would have to, you know, reload or you know change out the magazine. So I, I mean I understand that you know you're going to have the crazy person that's going to come with the multiple magazines. I, I, I understand that. So I'm not suggesting that this is a perfect sort of solution. But as I try to think this through, I mean I I do find myself wrestling with the question of why? What is the legitimate purpose behind this? Other than well, I don't want to see my Second Amendment rights limited. Well, okay. Keep in t- mind, at the time, at the time the Second Amendment was was drafted, our founding fathers. What were they dealing with? Like musket loaders or things like that. I don't know that they ever anticipated that you know average citizens would be walking around with you know these high capacity magazines capable of firing fifty or sixty or seventy bullets without reloading. I mean, do do people need these? And I'm not a gun banner i'm not i'm just trying to wrestle with what i think has always been sort of common sense regulations let's talk to scott in new berlin scott good morning good afternoon i'm sorry
3: oh yeah as a lefty liberal that owns plenty of guns i have no issue with you know even if we don't ban these high capacity magazines um and the drum magazines that'll hold 80 100 plus rounds treat them like fireworks where if you're gonna buy this advanced piece of equipment that you do have to register it it does have to be licensed and it has to be documented at time of sale no matter who sells it
1: like treat them yeah. like you're saying like treat them like we treat the purchase of silencers now for example
3: yeah okay and treat it like we you know ammonium nitrate like how we treat that kind of stuff and I think that's a reasonable you know but the simple thing the NRA does I mean it's all profit motivated to sell these items is slippery slope everyone fears the slippery slope but we don't fear it with speed limits
1: well
4: you know,
3: it's just not a good argument
1: right i mean red right. see that's i mean thanks you now I, I mean i have a text somebody says well what else would you be in favor of banning because we don't need them well that's not that that's not the the question the, the question is if if we accept the premise that when it comes to certain things like firearms and automobiles, for example, I mean, we we make people get licenses to to drive automobiles. I mean, so there are... Limitations. Now, I understand it's a little different because you've got the constitutional right of the Second Amendment, but the, the Second Amendment, is it absolute? The First Amendment's not absolute. You can't yell fire in the crowded theater. The Second Amendment's not absolute. You can't, the average citizen can't go and, and buy a bazooka without going through some sort of registration type of thing. And I, I guess I, I just. I think at some point in time, given the fact that you do have what is going on in this world, I I think it is fair to kind of do a balancing, which is, okay, let's look at the rights of legitimate law-abiding gun owners. All right? You you want to be able to go hunting. Got it. You want to be able to carry a firearm for self-defense. Got it. All right. All right well all right where where does the high capacity magazine fit in in that debate? I mean you mean if you've you've got a handgun that's got a magazine that's got a capacity of, of ten and you've got a couple different you know uh, clips that you know that's not going to be enough to defend yourself I mean seriously at some point in time, do we have to have or should we have a balancing um a, a balancing between you know the legitimate rights of of gun owners and um, and the again the rights of, I don't know a, other sort of people. I mean, can you can you just have that balance? And I, I think we all do ourselves a disservice by just digging in our heels. And saying, well no I'm're you're, you're not you're not going to be able to take away my guns. well, nobody's talking about trying to take away your guns, but I'm not going to agree to any sort of limits at all because it's not necessarily going to solve the problem well no it, it it might not, but that doesn't mean you don't do reasonable stuff, does it it's 126 this is Jeff Wagner it's 128, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ Grew, who's producing the show today and always. Did you, did you hear that, that ad that Abley, Chris Abley, Milwaukee County Executive, is running? Have you heard that? It's been on our air. It's um, there, There's a TV ad as well. Abley, who has more money than God, has decided he's going to go after the head of the county board, um, Theo Lipscomb. And, and again, normally in, in peeing matches between... The county executive and the clown car acted as a county board I just like to kind of stand by and watch you know and just try not to get wet that, that's that's the big objective because candidly a house on a pox on all their houses but this is one ably it, this ad it just it, it makes you just your head want to explode ably fiscally responsible ably looking out for this all these type of things well okay and you know tell call Theo Lipscomb and tell him to go along with the county executive's budget nowhere in that ad. Does Abley have the guts, and yes, that is the word I am choosing because there's another word that comes to mind, the guts to tell people that what he is doing is trying to push a massive tax increase on the people of Milwaukee County. This is the same Chris Abley who wanted a $60 wheel tax last year. The voters shot it down 72 to 28 percent. He got a $30 wheel tax. Abley is not happy with that, so he's back again demanding a $60, another $30 increase, doubling the wheel tax. And that's what this whole ad is all about. Call the county board. Tell them that you want to support Chris Abley's budget plan, which is a massive, massive tax increase. I would have more respect for Chris Abley if he was going to spend all this campaign money and daddy's money or whatever, if he would at least come out and be honest and say, all right, this is what my budget plan is. I want to raise, make a massive tax increase on you And I know you guys all said no last year in the referendum, but I'm Chris Abley, and I'm smarter than you are, and you're really too stupid to know that that you should be paying more in this wheel tax. If he would have come out and said that, which is really what he's doing, I would have had more respect for him. Instead of this bogus ad that touts how fiscally responsible he is, Chris Abley maybe is fiscally responsible compared to the Clown Car Act of the county board, but that's not what this ad is all about. The ad with you, you hear involving Chris Abley is him trying to sell a $60 wheel tax for Milwaukee County without admitting that that is what he is trying to do. It is shameful in the extreme. Okay, coming up in just a couple minutes, John McCain takes on the president. Stick around. It's one thirty-six. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. So very glad to be with you. And if you're just tuning in, yeah, it's uh, we've we've done this switch, and there's a lot of reasons for it, um, including this is just doing noon to three is so much better for my life right now than eight thirty noon. So this is the way it's going to be for the foreseeable future. Steve's Scafidi from eight thirty till noon, and I'm back in the slot that occupied for you know eighteen years until the very beginning of this year. Um, uh, noon to three. Five days a week, even though I'm taking a couple days off at the end of this particular week. So glad to have you with us. Racine's new mayor is emphasizing the fact that the city's downtown events center project is dead, but others are saying differently. Gene Miller has the latest 621 tomorrow. On Wisconsin's Morning News, we will also continue to keep you updated about the mess that is on the freeway. Dump truck um, down in the, the Kenosha area is flipped over, and uh, it traffic is just just crawling. So, if you're heading south on the freeway, I ninety four. My advice is um, find an alternative route. All right. If you are a regular listener to my show, you know that I'm very um, I'm a huge fan of the Boy Scouts. I got involved. Got involved as a – I was a Boy Scout as a kid. Um, My dad was an Eagle Scout, actually. I think I'm always disappointed in that I never made Eagle Scout, but that's that's kind of the way it is. Um, I I got involved in in helping do fundraising for the Boy Scouts a number of years ago when the United Ways across the country decided to defund scouting. They didn't do it here in southeastern Wisconsin, but they defunded scouting because of the controversy involving the scouts – now abandoned policy that didn't allow gay scoutmasters. My objection to it was that by United Way defunding the scouts, it, it, it hurt a particularly low-income kids who desperately needed scouting. And this was an occasion of where you're, you're politicizing um, scouting for your own purposes. And I thought it was horrible that United Way, in those communities that did this, so I decided to start raising money and help them, help them out. And I, I still do things from time to time uh, with scouting, including emceeing the big event they have in Waukesha, the Pottawatom Area Council, where they recognize all the adult leaders and all the, the kids, the, the boys, who um, gained the, the Eagle Scout um, status over the course of the year. So I, I'm, I'm familiar with and I'm a huge fan of, of scouting. This story is an odd one, and I want to share it with you and get your reaction to it, and I'll, I'll give you mine as well. Okay, first of all, if you're familiar with scouting, typically the progression is Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts, Explorers. Um, Cub Scouts, obviously, that, that has the largest participation because a lot of people, you know, they get involved in Cub Scouting, but they don't go on to Boy Scouts. Cub Scouts are are generally kids that are 7 to 10 or – who have not completed fifth grade so that that's the thing and then if you're older than 10 or once you've completed fifth grade you're, you're supposed to go be a Boy Scout so here here's the story as it appears in the New York Times let me read you a portion of the article and then we're going to discuss it Cub Scout is exiled after pressing legislature on guns and race when a group of Cub Scouts met with a Colorado State Senator this month they asked her about some of the most controversial topics in the nation Gun control, the environment, race, and the proposed border wall between the U.S. and Mexico. But the questions from one scout, Ames Mayfield, age 11, Now again, I I don't want to know why he's 11 in the Cub Scouts, but I digress, got him kicked out of his den in Broomfield, Colorado, according to his mother, Lori. At the meeting on October 9th, for which the scouts were told to prepare questions for State Senator Vicki Marble, Ms. Mayfield recorded her son in asking the senator why she would not support common-sense gun laws. I was shocked that you co-sponsored a bill to allow domestic violence offenders to continue to own a gun, Ames said in a question that took more than two minutes. This is the kid. He continued, Why on earth would you want somebody who beats their wife to have access to a gun? The event took place not long after the Las Vegas shooting. As part of her answer, Ms. Marble, a Republican from Fort Collins, defended her position on gun ownership, saying that the shootings in Vegas and Aurora happened in so called gun free zones, and the more guns society has, the less crime of murders are committed. On October 14th, five days after the event, the mom was asked to meet with the leader of the Cub Scout Pack who oversees a number of dens, including the one that the kid belongs to. Uh, Ms. Mayfield and the pack leader, whom she did not identify, sat down at a restaurant. He let me know in so many words that the den leader was upset about the politically charged topic of gun control, and he communicated that my son was no longer welcome back to the den. All right, so they essentially said, hey, you know, the kid went on this kind of two-minute spiel. Um, we thought it was inappropriate. He's not welcome back in the den. Now, here's a dazzling detail. The mom says that, well, the response might have might have been fueled by her decision to post the videos of the senator's interaction with the scouts online where they were picked up by the local news. So mom has her kid um, give this kind of two-minute speech-slash-question designed to put this Republican legislator on the spot. Mom films it. Mom posts it. Um, then she said uh, she was also told the den leader had been upset by other references in Ames's long question, such as pointing out that the senator was a Republican and that the gun ownership was considered a right while health care was seen as a privilege. So he gets tossed out of the den, and they say, well, it's because he, he kind of politicized this and also you know, you film this whole thing. You put it up on the Internet to embarrass the, uh, again, we think potentially to embarrass the, the state senator. All four seven nine nine is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's what I think happened. I think mom put the kid up to this. I think mom had her own agenda. I think mom wanted to use her child as a prop and use the Boy Scouts as a way of politicizing this issue. And you know what? Under the circumstances, if mom is unhappy that the kid was tossed out of the den, I think mom should be looking at herself in the mirror to find the true culprit. But let's tee this up. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Did the Cub Scouts do go too far in tossing this kid out of the particular den because of the rambling highly charged political question that was filmed and then posted on Facebook 4147991620 I think mom decided to use this event as a political stunt and yeah I understand why the den leader in particular was unhappy 4147991620 we discuss next if you're on the line please hold on it's 143 It's one forty-seven. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. You know, the the more I I think about this, this okay. You have a the kid is eleven years old. One of the oldest living Cub Scouts around. Cub Scouts are normally like seven to ten. Okay, this kid is 11 years old. The the Cub Scout, the, the den master, arranges to have a state senator come to speak to the group. The kid, you will never convince me that this was not without the prodding of mom, goes on this like two-minute lengthy diatribe talking about the evil Republicans and talking about gun control and things and asks the state senator a series of questions. You know, at least I firmly believe that mom put him up to it, probably even orchestrating the question. It's like this two-minute speech. Mom is filming the event, and then Mom rushes and puts it up on Facebook. Mom, in my opinion, used the kid as a prop. She politicized a Cub Scout meeting, and, and now that the kid has been tossed out of the particular den. That is unfortunate, but if Mom is upset about it, Mom should be looking in a mirror. She used her child as a prop. 414-799-1620. Mike and Franklin. Mike, good afternoon. Good afternoon.
2: Good afternoon. Thank you very much for taking yes, my sir. call. Yes, um, sir. Well, I'm heavily involved in, in Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts, that have been. And my initial thought, before I kind of heard the whole story, was you're kind of punishing the kid for the actions of the mom. Yep. I, I that does stick in my craw a little bit. It's just hard to speak it. But at the same time, there's a lot of different things with the Boy Scouts and the Cub Scouts that you're not allowed to do. I my son was in a leadership camp, and I posted pictures from the camp to my book. And got reprimanded you know hey you can't do that you don't have permission of the other parents to do that so i don't know if there were other kids in the video or if it was just her kid with the senator but you, you there, there are rules to what was being laid out and if the den leader laid out the rules in front of it and said hey you know we've got the here of the state senator um you know best behavior here are some of the regulations and ground rules and i, I kind of don't have a problem with it i think you know this they didn't represent what the, you know, but the, the ideals of that packer, that scout word, and I think it's kind of justified, but I still have a little bit of a problem with punishing the kids for the actions of the mom. Yeah. Because an 11-year-old still doesn't really know, yeah, the mom put him up to it, but you're, you're kind of punishing the kid, too, so there's a little bit of a have a little bit of
1: an issue with it well you are I mean I mean no, you, you you clearly are because like I said, apparently there's like a little bit of a give and take, but I mean, this is this two minute speech and, and 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 yes, mom put him up to it, but at the same time the kid did it and, and the kid decided to go down this route but I mean, I understand from the perspective of scouting you you don't want this to be politicized I mean and, and I think from the perspective of a state center clearly i my sense is this was a staged event um mom doesn't like republicans mom doesn't like this state senator here we get this setting where we've got the these cute cub scouts and stuff and I'll have my kids stand up and ask a very very confrontational question and then I'm going to film it and then what we're going to do is we're going to rush it to facebook i mean i think the whole thing was staged and i guess my objection is again you know using using the cub scouts as props and I think that's what this mother did, not just for her kid, but for all the other kids that were there that day. We're going to use them as props. And, and again, it's and and then we're going to try to get score our cheap political points by. OK, here's this, you know, cherubic 11 year old who's who's asking these questions. No, I mean, I I understand why the Boy Scouts would be upset with this particular type of thing. Chris in Brookfield, Chris, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon.
6: Yeah, hi. Um, Thank you for putting me on. I also have a lot of experience within the Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts area. I was a Cub Master, and now I am uh, a Scout leader for the Boy Scouts. Mm -hmm. And I personally think the the mother definitely put a poor spin on this, but I I really don't believe politics belongs in Cub Scouts in the first place. And I'm going to just tweak it, because you, the way you sound is you're sounding, the Boy Scouts is doing this, and it sounds like it's the den.
1: Right, it's the den leader and the pack leader, leader, right? They, they they tossed him out, right?
6: And in my opinion, the den leader is also politicizing this, because, let's face it, I hate to say this, but it's on TMJ this morning, mm-hmm. so right. there, there's a politicalness on both sides of this, and I don't think the kid should be in the middle of this.
1: And but but it's the kid who who started the whole thing. I mean, you just—it's the kid who started the whole thing, and I'm sure they are probably. Con- My guess is they feel that he embarrassed the the pack, and that he embarrassed the again their their guest, and that mom had all had orchestrated this to use the this particular den as a political prop, and they're probably upset. They didn't want to be used as a political prop.
6: And I'm not arguing that right. She used it as a political prop. My issue is not that side of it. My issue is is Cub Scouts is a, it's a nonprofit. It shouldn't be politicized right. at all. So I, I I'm not putting any credence in what she did because what she did was horrible. It's what, but the kid is being used as a pawn here between two different areas. And I don't think Boy Scouts of America told them, "Hey, you need to kick this kid out of there." No, I it was the local this den. This is on the local level. This
1: R- is on the right. You're right. No, you're right. It was thanks. No, you're right. It, it was on. It was on the local level. They tossed him out. As, as a matter of fact, I think Boy Scout says that they're trying to place him somewhere else, or they have placed him. But th- this was a decision that the Cub Scout leader made, and that the the, the local pack leader made. I guess my my point here. Is that I, I think this was an appropriate decision because this is this the response and I guess I don't agree with you when you say that well th- all right this is you know both sides are politicizing it no I mean there I, I th- this was it was all started by you know the the mom and by the kid and again I'm assuming that that mom put the kid up to this so you had that whole thing happen I, I think Boy Scouts. I have, have every right, whether it's a local den leader or th- whatever, to respond and say, you used us. You used us to advance whatever political you know, cause that you wanted to advance. You got your 15 minutes of fame. You potentially, you know, embarrassed the state senator, all those different types of things. But you used us as a political prop, and we're not going to put up with that. And the consequence is, I'm sorry, your, your kid's going to have to, you know, find, you know, some other place to go. And I don't think that that's an unreasonable position to take. Um, and it's part of the consequences that you get. And, and yes, the, the the 11-year-old kid who's aged out of Cub Scouts, I, I think anyways, yes, the 11-year-old kid is now going to have to be relocated or will drop out of scouting, but maybe maybe the kid could at some point in time say, oh, you know, Mom, maybe, maybe you shouldn't have filmed this, and maybe you shouldn't have put this up on the Internet because you know what? You didn't do me any favors. You learn the consequences of certain behaviors. It's 155. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The race for lieutenant governor could turn out to be an interesting one next fall. A former area lawmaker is considering tossing his hat into the ring. Who is it? Find out the answer during Wisconsin's afternoon news. That's coming up at 334 today. All right, coming up in less than 10 minutes, it might be the end of cabs. I saw this firsthand over the weekend. And, all right, Robin Voss says something Everybody's got their noses out of joint. Do do people need to grow up? We're going to be talking about all that. Stick around. It's 159. It's 209. This is Jeff Ragnar, 620 WTMJ. Good to be back in the noon to 3 time slot. Belinda, you know, one of the things that characterizes this show, and I I think it's always been the case, but as I get older, it's more and more the case, I just don't suffer fools well. <clears throat> I just, I, I just, you know, and there's, there's so much of that, and it's there's fools on the left, and there's fools on the right, and there's fools in the center, and I'm just, I'm, I'm just getting too old and too tired and seen too much of it, and I've just decided I'm not going to, I'm just not suffering fools as well. I, you know what? I don't think I am either. <laughs> And I just had a birthday recently in that's August, so yeah. it,
0: it must be something in the water. I
1: don't know, or, or, or that, but yeah. That's, so that's that's going to be that's going to be one of the hallmarks. And I'm I'm glad to have you doing the news. And you're going to notice you. that. You know, back when we worked together when when you know you first started and stuff. You're you're going to notice that. And grew who's producing the show, you're going to notice that as well. That just it 's not the cranky old guy it 's just i 'm just not suffering fools as well as I might have done you know when I started doing you know talk radio in this market you know twenty some years ago, and so that 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 leaves i don 't know that that might leave me irritating people who I agree with most of the time or who i 've known for years and years, but you know what what the heck if you if you don 't want to be if you don't want to be poorly suffered by me, don't act like a fool. That's kind of my attitude, right? No fools allowed. No fools allowed, right? It's no fool allowed zone. No, this is a lead in. All right. The the way the state budget w- was was done this year was an absolute outrage. Just, just because, I mean, you want to talk about dysfunctional. Normally, there's a budget hang up when you've got the, a state that's, for example, there's a Republican governor and a Democratic legislature, you know, and, and they can't agree. Or you've got, you know, Democrats that control the assembly and Republicans that control the Senate. And you can't agree. All right. So that, that's it. In Wisconsin, we have a very, very strong and very, very successful Republican governor. You have an overwhelming Republican majority in the state assembly what 60-some votes. I mean, seriously, you know, you can roll a bowling ball through the Democratic caucus and not hit anybody. There, there's so few members of the Democrats, so few Democrats. And, and then the state Senate, uh, an overwhelming Republican majority there as well. And still, you couldn't get a budget done for for weeks, for months, overdue month after month after month. It was embarrassing. Now, there's a lot of blame to go around. The speaker of the the, the in, in the. In the assembly, um, the speaker of the assembly is Robin Voss. I have known Robin since the mid nineteen nineties. Um, he's based out of Racine. I think that the assembly, and I was not not shy about this, when the, this budget thing was was being delayed and delayed and delayed, I, I put a lot of blame on the leadership in the assembly because they they were insisting on. Increasing taxes. They wanted to increase the gas tax. They wanted to make taxpayers pay more. My point, well, and and the governor, first of all, said this was a non starter. So if the governor says it's a non starter, that should tell you, you know, Republicans, this shouldn't happen. Secondly, I don't know that there's any Republicans in the state legislature who ran for office on a position of raising taxes. And, And I guess my point was all right, look, if, if you want to raise taxes, that's fine. Don't do it in this budget. Next time you run for office in November of 2018, you run on an agenda of I want to increase the gas tax or I want to do this or that or the other thing and, and see if you get elected. Now, my guess is there's going to be a lot of other Republicans that will run against you and will beat you, but that that's fine. If you, if you want to do that, run on that agenda. So I was critical of what happened in the Assembly. Ultimately, The Assembly had their, you know, everybody got together. You got a budget that was pretty good. The State Senate had, until the end, really not been the the roadblock. So I was critical of Robin Voss and some of the leadership. So then they cut a deal. You get the the Senate that agrees, at least a majority of the State Senate. You get the State Assembly that's on board. You've got the governor on board. And then you have three, actually four, conservative senators um, who decide... That that they're not going to go along with, you know, what was was happening. I mean, Dewey Strobel was one. You had Steve Nass. I I like Steve Noss. I've known Steve Noss for for decades. You know, he was another one. You have uh, Dale Capenga, who was a, another one, and then you have this guy named Dave Craig, who's um, out of Vernon, who who ended up voting against it anyways because that's what he always does. Um. So, but you had the, these three very conservative state senators who did. Um, well, I think the word I used was, was hijack the process. They decided, okay, we're everybody else has agreed on this, but we've got things that we can't convince our Republican caucus in the Senate to go along with, but we're going to dig in our heels, and we're going to refuse to vote for this, and we're going to tie up this budget again until we convince the governor to give us what we want. You know, we're kind of out of step with the Republican majority in the Senate. We're out of step with where the Assembly is. But we're going to, you know, we're going to band together and and we're going to force the governor to commit to a couple changes. And some of these some of these vetoes were things that were important to some of the other Republican members. So anyhow, the governor does it. It leaves bad feelings all around. Robin Voss in the assembly is upset. There's people in the Senate who felt that they were up, who are upset about this as well because they felt that these three Republican senators um, kind of banded together to form their own little cabal, and, and they were able to force changes that the majority of Republicans wouldn't agree with. All right, so that's the background of this. So Robin Voss, um, who's still smarting from this, you know, goes on uh, goes on uh, Channel 12 TV with Mike Goucher the other day, and, you know, they, they start talking about this, and he denounces... What what happened? You know, he denounces this process, he talks about how his membership feels betrayed by this whole thing. And then he says, Frankly, I wish the governor had not negotiated with terrorists. And so Goucher says, You're calling these rogues senator you're calling them rogue senators and terrorists? Voss says, That's that's what they are. Okay. Well, all right, he's using hyperbole. Well, ever since he says that, oh my goodness gracious hurt feelings, outrage, oh, this is terrible, how dare Robin Voss call them terrorists, doesn't he know what really terrorists are? Okay, look, I I guess this this is where I just don't suffer fools well. All of these people need to get over themselves. All right, was Voss's choice of language perhaps a little bit harsh? Yeah, yeah. But everybody in their right mind in Madison knows that Voss wasn't suggesting that, you know, Steve Nass was walking around with a machine gun. He was using the term in a figurative way. And this idea that, oh, all these people are all upset and Scott Fitzgerald, who's the leader of the Senate, demanding an apology and all this. I mean, it's kind of, you know, for God's sake, put on your big boy pants collectively and get over yourselves. So then, all right, I'm looking at this now, you know, Voss comes out with a uh, he, he issues a statement coming out with what I would what I would describe would be um, an apology of sorts let me see if I can just pull the thing up here um, he, he comes out with what I would describe as as an apology of sorts here's his statement okay every day there are brave men and women who put their lives on the line across the globe to stop terrorists and for them I'm extremely grateful. As Speaker, I have strived to increase the civility within the legislature. I now regret using the word terrorist because it goes against the guidelines I've set for our chamber and myself for that. I apologize. I continue to be concerned, however, that the actions of a few senators who cannot work with their colleagues in their own caucus could disrupt process on important legislation for the people of Wisconsin, etc., etc., With good negotiations comes good faith give and take, but some senators chose to continue taking while threatening a no vote. Every lawmaker has a voice, but we need to recognize what's going to get together. So okay. He ends up saying, Okay, I'm 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 sorry I ended up, you know, I'm sorry I used this particular term. All right, so here's here's the response. Can Senator Dale Capenga be gracious um This is uh, Chris Kapenga comes out, uh, released the following statement in response to Robin Voss. I understood, just as anyone who served in the legislature can attest, that the job can have frustrating moments. However, Speaker Voss choosing to take this to a level so personal is extremely inappropriate. So he's not going to be graceful as well. I guess I'm looking at this. It makes all Republicans look dumb. Should Voss have said terrorists? No, he probably shouldn't have. But at the same time, This reaction is so over the top from people on the other side. Everybody knows what Voss was talking about. He has apologized. For the love of God, can't we move on? And by the way, for the three senators who hijacked this whole budget process, well, okay, maybe you should rethink your tactics in the future. Just saying. 22. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Only Kareem scored more points in a Bucks jersey through the first three games of the season than Giannis has. What does the Greek freak now have in store for the Charlotte Hornets? Find out this evening. Our Buckshots pregame coverage starts at 6:40. Yeah, I'm telling you, that's. Um, y- you hope that some of the other players can elevate their games, and if they can, this could be a uh, could be kind of a special season. I watched the. Um, I was in San Diego last weekend, so I watched the game on. Friday night, um, it was on the ESPN, it was their national game, and um, it, it started early, so we went out to dinner later on with my niece and some of her friends and some of my brother's friends. We had a chance to watch most of the game, and unfortunately, uh, the Bucks. I mean, it was Giannis, and then nobody else, um, no, nobody else was playing well. Hopefully, that will not be a trend that continues. Okay, one of the things I, I did notice, like I said, I was in San Diego this weekend with my brother, and... If, if at all possible, I try to avoid renting cars. i mean sometimes when I travel you, you just you just can 't you know you, you 're going to places where you just can 't get around, but in general, I try to avoid renting cars just because it 's sort of a it 's sort of a hassle for years and years. I have been a, a cab guy, and if you travel to well, some of the you know the bigger cities, some of the cities that are good with cabs. New York is a good cab city. Chicago is a good cab city. I mean, it you know it's, it wasn't any sort of problem. Well, um, you know we're in San Diego, and I don't, I, I you know I I don't know how easy it is to flag down cabs, but it didn't we didn't have to worry about that because we took Uber everywhere. Uber is of course the the ride sharing service. We took Uber from the airport to our hotel on the other side of San Diego. We took Uber from the hotel to visit my niece at San Diego State and back. When we went out to dinner, you know, we would take Uber. We went to see the Jimmy Buffett concert on Saturday night in Chula Vista, which is about seven miles south of San Diego. You know, we we took Uber there and took it back. And other than just really heavy traffic, it, it, it could not have worked better. Our waiting time... With the exception, again, of trying to get the guy in to pick us up after the concert. Our waiting time was never longer than, I'd say, five minutes at at, at a max. And, I mean, the cars were all well-kept. They were all clean. The drivers were incredibly responsive and kind of interesting. Not the sort of person that you would be afraid to get into a, you know, a vehicle with at all. In general... I, I want to say that yeah, I th- I think I'm gonna say without exception, we took Uber all over from the time I got in there Thursday till the time I left to go to the airport yesterday morning, and the, the experience was really, really good. Now I have never I haven't used Uber except when I'm with people that, that use it. I have never even downloaded the app. But I will tell you, after the experience that I just had, I and it's kind of consistent with the experience I've had before i am I am just convinced that th- this uber model, whether it's uber or Lyft or whatever ride sharing service you know you use I'm convinced that unless they really screw up somehow i I think that the traditional taxi cabs i think they are going to be a thing in the past thing of the past maybe maybe a lot sooner than anybody thinks i I think the challenge of these ride-sharing services to cabs is the same thing that the Internet did to traditional newspapers. They're not all gone, but they're struggling, and they're trying to reinvent themselves. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, I will tell you, as somebody who hasn't downloaded the app yet, but is just kind of bootstrapped along with other people, having seen... Now again, the way this operates, and maybe it's different in different cities. I just, I don't know that I would ever go back to the traditional. Let's call the cab and tell them that you need them at your house. You know, at 11:30 in the morning. I mean, I tell you, you get that app, you download it, and somebody's there in a couple minutes. Now again, I don't use it around here, so I don't know if the service is that quick. But I, based on my experience, I think that this might be, I would not be surprised to see traditional cabs essentially be the dinosaurs in the tar pits sooner rather than later. Okay, four one four seven nine is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, the, the Uber model, is this going to be a success or is this just a flash in the pan? I think... I think this is the new wave, and again, when I'm talking, I'm talking about the ride-sharing thing. Maybe it'll be Lyft, maybe it'll be Uber, maybe it'll be something else. But I'm talking about ride-sharing. I think this is definitely the wave of the future. And if I owned a cab company, I'd be figuring out how to reinvent my business or um, what my business was going to look like five or ten years from now. Are you are you an Uber person? Are you a Lyft person? And will this challenge the cabs, and how severely? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty is the number. If you're on the line, please hold on. 227, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 229, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Victor in Bayside. Victor, good afternoon. Hey, Vic. Jeff. Thanks I, for taking
4: my call. Yes, sir. Yes, I wanted to share a recent story I had in uh, Las Vegas. So I uh, decided, I usually do Uber, but, you know, I was in a bit of a rush. The cab was there, so I decided to take it. right. And the cab driver, he ends up taking, he doesn't even know where my hotel is, because I'm, I'm not in a, it was a non-standard hotel. So okay. he goes the wrong route, which ends up costing me more money. And then there's an airport surcharge, and then I wanted to pay my credit card, so there was another $3 added to it. So my total ended up being $20, while the Uber was quoting me a flat guaranteed rate right. on credit card at $12. Yeah, right. So, I mean, it's just such, cabs are such a terrible experience. The only benefit was that it was there, right there. I didn't have to, like, walk over to find the Uber. Right. And, but after this, though, I mean, I've told myself, in Vegas, never again. Oh, I'm taking a cab at all.
1: Well, it is. I mean, thanks. It is interesting, Victor, because as somebody who goes to Vegas a couple times a year, I, and it, it's easy to find cabs. I mean, there's cabs all over, and I've always used cabs, except the last time that I was there with my brother You know, we we were going to a couple places, again, off the Strip and things like that, and we used the Uber thing, and you had to walk a little bit farther to find, like, the Uber pickup at the hotels. But it's exactly right. You you didn't have to wait very long. I mean, they were there. But this experience I had in San Diego, and we, like I said, we Ubered. Everywhere. I mean, we, we took my niece. She wanted to go to a run. To, uh, we took her on a target run. You know, we, we went to restaurants. Some in the downtown area, some in the suburbs. Um, we we took. They had them take us to the to the show. And again, I like, I also like the set pricing, the, the fact that, okay, you know how much you're going to pay. So it doesn't matter if you get caught in traffic. That doesn't matter. It's going to be that fee. Whereas you just never know when you're dealing with the caps. Okay. We continue the conversation. One more segment. I just, I, I really, this is, I, I think one of the waves of, of the future. And I saw it play out, um, over the weekend, 414-799-1620 is the number. 237, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Our text line has exploded. Let's see. Uh, Kevin says, Jeff, this isn't the future. It's here now. I drive for Uber part time on weekends, mostly downtown. Most college kids use it to get around. That's what my niece does. She doesn't have a car. Um, what I have noticed now is that more older passengers are using Uber. I spoke with one daughter who has uh, her. I spoke with one daughter who has her mom using Uber. She loves the fact that she doesn't have to worry about mom walking three blocks to wait for the bus. Um, let's see, cab companies could just use an Uber-style app for hailing and logistics uh, management. Eventually, there could be one app to hail a cab up private Uber, perhaps it is something new. Eh, Entirely possible. Let's see. Steven Greenfield says, Uber is awesome. Cabs, I think, will go the way of the payphone. Jeff says, I have nothing but good experience with Uber. Cabs took forever to get here as well when I lived in Tosa and Bayside, and they sometimes even gave attitude about coming out to the suburbs. Cabs will go the way of Blockbuster Video and the dinosaurs. Um, Ray in Illinois says, Uber and Lyft have changed my life. I'm blind, and the biggest barrier for me to doing things is transportation. Uber and Lyft have solved that for me it's almost like I own my own car I want you to understand it's not like I never used these services before but the last four days again I'm in San Diego so maybe it's a little bit different than it is here but I mean we we traveled a lot we were back and forth a lot things were spread out um, and and we used Uber all the time and it was it I, I did not have a bad experience the driver's were knowledgeable. I mean, they've got. I mean, they they all off, operate off these GPS things and stuff like that. They got you where you were going. It was one set sort of fee. Um, I just I was thinking, wow, this is the wave of the future. Joe in Milwaukee. Joe, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good afternoon.
0: Good afternoon. Um, I'm actually driving for Lyft right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's it's not going anywhere. Lyft and Uber, uh, especially here in Milwaukee, uh, Lyft is very prominent. But uh, I drive about 80, 80 rides a week, and mm-hmm. for all the jobs, it gives a lot of people a lot of jobs. I mean, a year ago, there wasn't half as many people out there, but the bonuses they're offering and the jobs that they're offering, we have over 3,000 drivers in Milwaukee right now.
1: Okay, I'm and, not, not going to ask you specifics, Joe, but I mean, this is always one of the questions in the back of my mind. I mean, do, obviously, if you've been doing it for a while, there's, there's something in it for you. Do you make enough money to make it worthwhile?
0: You have to work a lot of hours, um, you know, between sixty and seventy. But you know, if you work full time and if you work the right hours and don't have a social life, <laughs> you can make you can make a thousand dollars a week.
1: Okay, um, okay, I mean, that's not bad. Right? Now, is that when you say "make"? Are you talking about clearing? Because you you, you got to pay for your own gas and your expenses and stuff. Right?
0: Right? Right? right. It, it's about nine nine hundred to a thousand a week. Um, okay. But you know. You have to pay taxes on that eventually. Right. And, you know, so it doesn't come out to be that. Um, But that's, I mean, that's 60, 70 hours a week of of constant driving. And wear and tear in your car. I went through a transmission. I went through, you know, brakes up and down. So it's it's a lot of work, but uh, well, my
1: understanding you know. is a lot of the drivers. And I, I mean, I, I was kind of curious because once I started having such a good experience, I was talking to some of the drivers. I I also get the idea that at least a lot of the people they're they're not doing this full time to make a living. They're just you know they've got a, a few hours here and there on weekends and or or right. whatever in the evenings, and they're doing this for a little bit of pin money. They, they've got other jobs or they're they're students Correct. or things like that. Yeah,
0: yeah, they will work between five and, and and you know I found in the last six months that. It's a lot harder to get, you know, rides because everyone's out there between five in the morning and eight o'clock, and then they go to their regular <laughs> right, job. Yeah, and, you know, yeah, but you know, it, they offer, you know, it's a great source of income, and and to get rid of that, they're, they're not going to go anywhere. We have constantly new drivers every month that that do it, so it's, it's cabs are a waiver that you know past.
1: Well, no, thank, I mean, I, I will, I will tell. Well, I think it's one of those things that it is kind of adapt or die because I, I was just. I was amazed at how easy this was, and we were. I mean, we, we. I was not staying in the heart of downtown San Diego. Now, I wasn't. It's not really that big, and I, I mean, I wasn't really out in the sticks. But it wasn't like downtown where you'd have this huge cab line. And I will tell you, I mean, we. So, I mean, we would. We would walk down into the lobby of the hotel. My brother would hit whatever magic he does on on the app, and I don't think we ever waited longer than four or five minutes for you know the car to pull up. Okay, this is Ricardo. He's driving a red jeep or whatever, and and, and they got us where we were going. Derek and Brown Deer. Derek, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good afternoon. Morning. I'm sorry. <laughs> Hi. Uh, morning. Afternoon. Whichever one. <laughs> I'm still um, adapting, but I'm glad to be back at noon to three. You are uh, you're an Uber driver. My note says. Yes, tell you. Okay. How Uh, how long have you been doing that? I've only been doing it for about four or five months now. Okay. All right. Great. So um, I
5: I think basically what I've gone from it is I do it for just, um, like you were just saying, just a little bit of uh, cash on the side. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have to commit myself to a part-time job, you know, eight, nine hours extra on top of what I already work full-time. Right. Um, But I know when I get, like, my customers in the car, they're a lot more laid back, they're relaxed, they mm-hmm. like the atmosphere of, you know, like a personal vehicle versus a yellow cab, sti- you know, stigma. Um, they like the, the fare cost, they know what it is, and then with the GPS being right there in front, I can switch between three different, you know, apps of navigation. So if somebody's right. not comfortable with the route I'm taking, I can switch the route or, you know, the app and right. they get a sense of where I'm going so they can see what I'm doing. They know I'm not pulling any funny business, and, right. you know, the cost is what it is.
1: Right, because, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it's it's one set fair, right, regardless of which route you take, right?
5: Correct. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for the most part, I mean, yeah. it, it, you know, there's been stories in the past you know people tell you like actually i want to i want to make one extra stop right we can do that it just adds to the time
1: right sure right right. Uh, yeah understood yeah there was that there was story a few months ago about the people who like in the middle of the night kept driving all over and they were shocked at how much it cost yeah i mean but right that right because like we were for example we were coming back from the concert on saturday night we, what we did is we we did multiple rides, you know, so it was like we, we went and dropped off my niece first at San Diego State, and then we went to our hotel, and the guy we were with went to his home, but you had to book those separately and all, but yeah, so can, let me ask you the question I asked the last guy I mean, you just do this part time do you make enough money to make it worth your time
5: um yeah, i do um, okay. I, I try to pick up you know uh, i 'd say about three or four hours you know you know every other day. And obviously some days are a little bit better than others, but sure. I try to target like when the Bucks are playing or where, right. you know when the when the brewers were playing. I hit it hard, you know, during Summerfest and State Fair. Um, you know, really try to capitalize on that. And they do a good job at setting up areas where people can, you know, go to right. those areas and get a ride. So you're almost guaranteed business for the most part. But you do have to give a little bit of time. But so far myself, I've I've made it work. You know, I mean i I'm not Breaking yeah. even, I'm actually coming ahead a little bit. Okay. That's all I wanted.
1: Yeah, well, it's, it's something right. I it, it mean, it's something different than like getting the regular part-time job where you'd you'd have hours and you'd have to work at the store from like six to nine at night, four nights a week. This gives you the flexibility to get out Correct. there. Plus, my guess is you meet interesting people. Yep.
5: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's in, it's enjoyable though. I mean, some people they I don't know how you do it, but I really have I've met a lot of you know interesting people in terms of in a good way. Yeah. And they seem to really like you know, us as drivers and the service that we do. So it's almost like you're driving a friend around, really, is what it comes down to. Yeah,
1: no, thanks. I mean, it is, I mean, that was one of the things, because, again, I'm, I mean, I don't know how many rides we took, but it was a lot. Um, And it was just interesting. People had interesting stories. We had one female driver, and she actually was from uh, Wisconsin. She was originally, she grew up in, she went to Bayview High School. I used to get to talking to people, and you know, it, it was it was just kind of an interesting experience. I um, and I'm not anti cap. Don't don't get me wrong, I, I'm not, but I, as more and more people start to say, oh, th- this is kind of this cool alternative. I-, I think more and more people are going to adapt to this. Now, again, there are, there are these issues. You know, you, do you do the background checks? How good are the background checks? You know, what's the screening and those type of things? Because one of the things that would kill this business is if you get into a situation where I, I don't know that there's there, there's cars that are dangerous that are out on the road or people who are driving who aren't supposed to or something like that. All you need is a couple of those examples. I'm just saying, for my money, we had a really good experience over the weekend. When we come back, all right, President Trump picks a fight with John McCain, and he's not backing down. And I mean McCain's not backing down. Stick around. It's 246. This is Jeff Wagner it's 249 Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ um, John sends me an email Jeff I, I used Uber in DC about a year ago took six trips for three of the six trips our driver couldn't find Arlington National Cemetery the Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts and the Pentagon hmm. and I was staying near National Airport I guess what I don't understand about that is you know when you've got the Uber app you put in where you're going and at least every time I've been in it they've got like GPS things and you know it just it just automatically shows the, the route I, I don't quite get that but um, I guess to each their own, I do think it's kind of the wave of the future. I think cab companies are going to need to adapt. All right. I, I've always run hot and cold on, on John McCain. I think, um, as he has, as I was saying earlier, you know, I, I think he, like me, does not suffer fools as well as perhaps he did years ago, but he was always cranky. He was always cranky. I've just kind of grown into being a little bit cranky, but he was always that way. And there's always been, since Donald Trump exploded onto the political scene in 2015, he and McCain have always had sort of a, I don't know, uh, let's see, well, The Washington Post describes it as a tense relationship. It started out when President Trump, uh, then-candidate Trump, to his eternal disgrace— Decided that he was going to mock John McCain and, you know, in one of these off-the-cuff remarks said, um, people say he was a war hero because he was captured. I like people who weren't captured. That was a horrible thing to say. It was just it, and I understand that the people who you know love President Trump, yeah, that's it. But that that was a horrible thing to say. John McCain is an American hero. You can agree with him politically, you can disagree with him politically, but he is an American hero. And I think everybody who served our country deserves that respect. And somebody who was shot down and spent years in you know a Vietnamese you know prisoner of war facility deserves the ultimate respect. And I think it was appalling that President Trump, candidate Trump at the time, decided to mock him. And and, and McCain doesn't forget this stuff. I think that has always bothered McCain. There's never been an apology. And now he's 81 years old. He's, you know, fighting brain cancer. He's just been reelected for what will be his last term. And so, you know, he's been kind of persnickety. Um, His vote against health care reform, I was critical of him for doing that because... Well, I I just I wasn't sure why he chose to do it in the way he did. And was that about his constituents or was it about sticking to to President Trump? And if it was about sticking it to President Trump, I I would lose a little respect for him. But I'm I'm a big fan of John McCain. So McCain uh, pulls no punches. You know, he's giving a speech. um, He's actually was interviewed on on C-SPAN. And uh, now keep in mind. During the Vietnam War, and I was just a little bit too young for that, but, you know, um, the U.S. inducted about 300,000 men into the military. Um, you you know, if you were in high school, you, you got your draft number. And I can still remember, you know, even, I mean, I turned 18, the, the, when I turned 18, the draft was still... They weren't drafting anymore, but but you still had to get your number and your draft card and all those type of things. And, I mean, I can remember older brothers of friends of mine, you know, going and you have these parties when they'd announce the lottery and when the draft number would come up and all. Um, And and the truth was, you know, you had a lot of people who ended up going. They were drafted in the service because they couldn't go to college and get a deferment. So you have um, President Trump who managed to get multiple deferments i don't argue that i don't claim he was a draft dodger i don't think he was he did what lots of people particularly wealthier people did at the time he went to college stayed in college after his college deferment expired he found some doctor feel good to say that he wasn't milit he wasn't medically capable because he had bone spurs and so if, if you want to criticize President Trump, it would be for finding this doctor with the bone spur to say that he suddenly had bone spurs, which now apparently were miraculously cured for most of his life. You know, he was an athlete and stuff in college, but he's got those bone spurs that prevented him from serving, while if you weren't Donald Trump and didn't come from a wealthy family, you were, you know, in the jungles in Southeast Asia. Um, I I think it's interesting because in this comments to to, uh, CNN, John McCain says, He's he's talking about the draft in Vietnam. He says, we drafted the lowest income level of America, and the highest income level found a doctor that would say they had a bone spur. That's wrong, that's wrong. If we're going to ask every American to serve, every American should serve. Now, of course, the bone spur reference... He doesn't specifically say President Trump, but let's be honest. He was referring to President Trump. I don't think President Trump is a, is a draft dodger. I, I do think he did what a lot of people did at the time, everything they possibly could to try to avoid military service, which is why I thought the President's comments during the campaign trail about John McCain was kind of so appalling. It was like, you know, people people in glass houses really shouldn't, you know, throw stones. And if you're going to... Avoid military service by getting a doctor to say that you've got bone spurs. You shouldn't be disparaging John McCain. Um, the, the interesting, the larger point that McCain makes, though, in aside, aside, in addition to the dig at President Trump, is that he's right. Um, if you're going to ask every American to serve, every American should, in fact, serve. And perhaps that's the larger takeaway from all this, that um, if you're going to have a draft, Well, maybe there shouldn't be deferments. That's the thing that we need to remember moving forward. It is 2.55 in just a couple minutes. John McCure is going to be in. We'll find out what he's got on his mind and what's coming up on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around.